Right, today I have a special treat for you. I have a guest that I've known for a long time. I think since 1996, I believe, when I first moved from Mississippi to Iowa, I met John Boyd, who was a... Were you undergraduate or graduate student at that time? I was an undergrad. He was an undergraduate yep. at Faith Baptist Bible College at that time, and we both went to church at, at that time, Campus Baptist Church. It's since yep. become Crossroad. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you thrive as a disciple of Jesus. And one way that I want to do that today is to introduce the testimony of someone who is doing that, not just here in the United States, but around the world. So John has been a missionary in Colombia for a very long time, about the same amount of time that we've been in Japan. So today we get to hear his story. Thanks for joining me. All right, now it's your turn. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I first moved to Iowa in 96, and I think that's when we met at church. Yep. And then later we were in seminary together. Yep. So I don't know that I remember a lot of your story as far as how you got from whatever was before faith. Right. Um, so if you don't mind, share some of how you got to that part. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Norm. Yeah. Um, I grew up in northern Minnesota, a town called Hibbing, up there in the Iron Range. My dad was an engineer at one of the mines up there. And so we grew up in a going to a Baptist church. And so I was involved in, in hearing the Bible and all that. And at a young age, I heard the gospel preached very clearly. I still remember it to this day. I don't know exactly what age I was, but I heard about Christ and the pastor preached on how Christ was crucified and painted that picture and made a point that really hit me really hard and that it was that Christ didn't just die for the world, he died for me. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, when I was became a believer in Jesus. After hearing that, I was really hit by that as a young boy and talked to my dad afterwards and he shared the gospel from the book of Romans, mm-hmm. how I could be saved by believing in the Lord Jesus and trusting in him and I was saved that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up then as I became a teenager I thought I'd followed my dad's footsteps. I was actually, I was on the swim team, I was on the tennis team, and I was a geek because I had a math patch. I was on the math team. <laughs> they have math teams? Yeah, they do. <laughs> I definitely would not have been on the math team. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, they're in Hibbing. They actually had kind of a tradition. The math team was really good. We went wow. to state and did well. I wasn't one of the best ones, but that kind of gives you an idea of my bent at right. that time. And so I never thought of going into ministry. I, when I thought of any job or career I would not do, it was going into ministry because I was a very shy guy and nervous. And so I remember if I had to like do the Bible reading in youth group, I would just start shaking and my face would turn beet red. And I really didn't feel comfortable speaking in front of more than like three or four people. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, I was thinking about engineering, but... Uh, there was a chance to go work at a camp in southern Minnesota, a Christian camp. And so that's Bass Lake Camp near Winnebago, Minnesota. And so I served three summers as a staffer. And I remember to this day we do fun things like clean bathrooms after junior campers and do dishes in 100-degree weather and shovel sledge out of the lake, which at that time was not very good for swimming. But it was through that time that God used that experience because I'd never experienced so much joy Mm -hmm. just serving God and um, being involved with that camp. I wasn't in a leadership position or anything. I was just a staffer. Mm -hmm. 
but they would always preach on missions and on serving God. Mm-hmm. And it was there that I surrendered to that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I told God, I don't know how you're going to do this with me because I'm very shy and I don't know that I can do this. Mm-hmm. But I said, if that's what you want, I'm willing to do it. Right. And so that's kind of how God called me to into ministry. Awesome. All right. So another part of your story, and I kind of know piece of this because coming from uh, campus and Crossroad, uh, we had your wife's family was there. And so I kind of knew the story of her family and her dad. But I think a lot of my listeners don't know that. So maybe you could jump over to your wife's story a little bit and share how she got to the point where you guys met, because I think that's a big part of your story right. down the road. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, she grew up as a missionary kid in Colombia, in Bogota, and her parents were involved in, in church planning. Also, her dad was involved in teaching in a small Bible institute there. And unfortunately, he went one night to visit a family in the south of Bogota. This is in 1993. Bogota at that time was going through a lot of difficulties, very dangerous city at times. And he went to visit this family, and then he never came home. And it turned out that he, after the visit, they don't really know what happened, but he was robbed and he was shot and he died. And so that was when my wife was 16 years old. And as a result of that, then her mom and her, she and her sisters moved back to Iowa, moved back to Ames. Mm -hmm. And her mom got a job here at Faith Baptist Bible College, Mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. And it's neat to see God's providence because... Mm -hmm. God provided for their needs, uh, really blessed. And my wife was able to then get a full ride scholarship since her mom worked here. Mm -hmm. And that's how I met her that first year of college in 1994. I met her on the Brown Cross or Campus Baptist van. And she seemed a little bit out of place because she was a missionary kid. She wanted to be in Columbia, but God had her here. Right. And so that began a friendship with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So... uh, I guess um, you got from Minnesota to Iowa and then moving toward Columbia. Uh, one of the, th- the important parts, I think, in most people's story are, is the people who invest in your life. And that's one of the things we keep talking about. You know, you have your foundation of your spiritual life with God, where you're in time, spend time in prayer, you spend time in God's word, you spend time in God's family. And part of God's family is uh, investing in each other that work of using our gifts to help other people make steps of faith. So mm-hmm. one of the things I'm always interested in hearing is who are the people who invested in your life to mm-hmm. help you be the, the man that you are today? Right, right, yeah. Well, I think um, this links back to Basilic Camp because there is a friend from, from southern Minnesota. His name is Troy. Troy was also a staffer, and so we became friends, and sometimes we'd stay the weekend and hang out together when we were at camp because, of course, the camp was during the week and then the weekends we had a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. He was a student here at Faith, Mm -hmm. and he had also spent a year in Ecuador with the Ariba program. So he is telling me about serving in in Latin America, Mm -hmm. and I was uh, in the providence of God taking Spanish classes in high school. Mm -hmm. So the two things just kind of meshed together. Mm -hmm. I got excited about that idea. I thought, wow, I want to go on Ariba program too. I never did. But when I came to here to faith the first year in 94, he just took me under his wing. Mm-hmm. And I, he, it's not like he ever said anything, mm-hmm. but he was discipling me. Mm-hmm. And so he's the kind of guy that he knows phrases in like 20 languages. 
So we would be walking in Ames, and he would see someone who's Korean, and he'd say, Anyan Hashimika, like, how are you? And he'd see someone in Spanish and say, Hola, como, que tal, como estas? And he would, you know, use these different languages and just had, I mean, French, English, Spanish, Japanese, all these different languages. Mm -hmm. And he also took me on to go with him to do Bible studies. So we would typically on Wednesday nights, we'd go and visit a different international couple or person or whatever. Um, that first year, we did a Bible study with two Panamanian guys. Um, I lost contact with them, but their names are David and Roque. And so every week we were doing a Bible study with these two guys. I was mostly listening. My Spanish wasn't that good, mm -hmm. but I was kind of imbibing the way he was and the way he just had this contagious love for God and for people. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think I'd use that in my life a lot more than I realized at the time. Right. Because I still thank God for, for that impact in my life. Right. Okay. So he would be one of the main ones. I oh, know just say, uh, even based on that story of how he worked in your life, it's interesting because he didn't say, okay, John, I'm going to disciple you now. And sometimes we feel like, well, I need this formal setting. We need materials. People all the time ask me, what are the materials that I should use? It's like, I think we're not talking about the same thing. Yeah. You know, disciple making is not about a resource or a tool. It's about a life. Yeah. And what he did is invest his life in your life. He invited you to be part of what he's doing anyway. Yep. And he shared with you in ministry. And I think that's something that we often, we lose. Yep. We feel like, oh, our church does discipleship. And what we mean is we go through a book that talks about, mm. uh, uses the word disciple and discipleship right. in it. Yeah. But it's different than being a disciple maker. So I think that's something I, I really want to point out. It's definitely been true in my life. The people who really came alongside and, and invested in me at the time, I wouldn't have described what they were doing as disciple making. But looking back, I'm like, I learned so much. Or a challenge when I was at Mississippi State was a guy who was a nuclear physicist. It's like, this guy's he's really bright. And we never sat down and went through, you know, material together. But one of the things I'll never forget that he challenged me is God's word gives you the principles that you make every decision for the rest of your life by. Mm. So you, you have to be in God's word. Mm -hmm. So when you look at your future, what God's doing in your life, when you're asking about, you know, God's will, how does God want me to serve? Where? Who does God want me to be with? All those questions, if you don't know God's word, there is no hope for you really answering that question well. So mm. I go back and say, yeah, he taught me lessons that we didn't go through a book, but he shared it in his life, and yep. he shared it in our conversations. He talked about it over coffee. We did life together. Mm. And I think that's just important when we think about disciple-making. So I, yeah. that was a really good picture of, of Troy working in your life in exactly that way, where he didn't say, hey, I'm going to disciple you now. But yep. looking back, you realize how much is invested uh, through those interactions. And I think that's something that I want to have in my life. I want to be that person for other others. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like you're saying, it's definitely caught more than taught. Right. And it's something that I think if, if someone tells you, okay, make disciples, it's one thing, mm -hmm. but if they're modeling it and you're, that's contagious, you see, okay, well, he's not doing something out of this world that I couldn't do because what's he doing? He's being friendly and he's looking for open doors. And when God opens the door, he's going through it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's been a great encouragement. So, yeah, I agree with you. If, if we can be used by God to do that, mm -hmm. amen. Right. Yeah, I, that's, that's my heart's desire is to be that mm -hmm. kind of person. Okay. 
So we got halfway through your story. <laughs> so we haven't got you to Columbia yet. So, right, right. Okay, so you and, and your wife are at, uh, at Faith, mm-hmm. and you met. Yeah. So then what was the process of actually surrendering toward missions? Because I don't believe uh, you had mentioned that yet, so how you really got to look right. at it. Oh, well, you kind of saw some, some hints, maybe, of God's right. doing some things. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did enroll in the missions program here okay. because I was already thinking, like I said, with what Troy was telling me in high school even. Because this started even when I was in high school with that friendship with him. And then, um, again, Spanish. And I, it's funny, in my high school career in Hibbing, we had electives. And the only time in my whole career when I couldn't take a course was when they canceled some computer course I was going to take. And the only course I could take was Spanish 3. <laughs> I didn't want to take Spanish 3. And yet God said, okay, you're going to take Spanish 3. And I ended up just loving it. And I think that's where I thought, you know, this isn't normal because most of my, my fellow classmates didn't love it. And I thought, this is something, God's giving me a desire for this. Mm-hmm. So then when I came to faith, I was already thinking missions. Okay. Of course, I was open to being changed. Right. But I was thinking more missions than pastoral ministry. Okay. I don't think yeah. I realized that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. So then you got to faith and you, and you met her. Um, can you, I know I have several people that I've been talking to recently who are either about to begin pre-filled, so okay. go with the mission board and uh, make it to the mission field, or they're, they're in that process. And it's often, it just seems like drudgery. Mm. And it's often what you hear, people that seem to be right. struggling. And... I can tell my opinion in a minute, but what's your thought and, a, and advice for someone who is either about to begin or in that process and kind of feeling like it's, I'm kind of losing some of my, my drive here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for our listeners, I will say that God used Norman in my life because he's uh, with ABWE and we're going to go with ABWE. And so you and Susan came over to our apartment. I still remember it and walked us through kind of how you did this. That helped him a lot. Um, I would say what has helped me is to think about it more as, okay, ministry. And my question has always been, how can I bless this church and the people I meet? So I love what Jesus says in, I think it's recorded in Acts 20, if I'm not mistaken, but he says it's more blessed to give than receive. Mm -hmm. And so if you go, you can be thinking about numbers and money and finances, and you're not going to be able to bless people because you're just focused in kind of a mentality of being a rival with everyone. Right. And then you if know? you don't get it, you're kind of disappointed. Exactly. And, and maybe you hear, no, so-and-so got supported by the church and you're like, oh, no. But that's a, ri- a rivalry, right. a mentality of rivalry, I guess. And so, I mean, my goal has always been, okay, whether a church can support us or not, we want to just go and be a blessing. Right. And sometimes that's being a blessing to the pastor. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of discouraged pastors uh, that are in the trenches Mm -hmm. that maybe don't have someone to talk to. Or maybe it's finding that one or two people that need to be encouraged towards ministry or in their Christian life, Mm -hmm. or maybe one unbeliever that talks to you after. And so I always thought, okay, if I can bless one person, it's worth it. Right. You know, and, and that's what I tell our people in Columbia too. Go to church to be a blessing. Don't go to church just to receive. Right. If you go to be a blessing, you're going to receive a lot more anyway. Right. That's <laughs> always the way. And I know when I talk to people about pre-filled, that whole process, I said, well, the way that ABWE words it, and I think it's correct, it's pre-filled ministry. Yep. It's your ministry you're doing right now before you make it to whatever field you're headed for. Yeah. 
it's ministry. And if you see it that way, then I, I mean, really for us, we were on prefield for four and a half years. And some yeah. people go, oh, it's so long. It's like, it didn't seem that long to us. Yeah. And we said, even at the end of it, we could keep doing this for a while. I mean, mm. because we went to every church with what you're talking about, how can we serve? Yeah. We're here to serve you today. And sometimes it's the pastor. Or some churches you went to, and it's a small church in the middle of nowhere, and it's the one high schooler that says, I'm just looking at what you know God might do in my life. And I said, that conversation was worth whatever it cost to get here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's helping this person make a step. And a lot of small churches are avoided by missionaries because they go, oh, well, they, they're not going to support yeah. the church small. So I like those because a lot of those people, they haven't had a lot of those conversations. They don't have a lot of opportunities. So the opportunities for ministry, I think, are greater in the smaller churches. So most of our churches, in one reason, it took us four and a half years, we didn't go to very many large churches. Right. We chose the smaller ones, and we would have churches that would say, uh, we probably can't support you. Can you pray for us? If you pray for us, uh, then we'd love to come. Now, if you tell us you're not interested in praying for us, we still might want to come because we can see some needs for ministry at your church. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> because there's a great need out there. We need to be praying for it. But yep. that's part of it, too. Sometimes, uh, and I found this out two weeks ago, we had a church that doesn't support us. We had not been to this church in 23 years. We walked in the door, and this man came up to me, and he shook my hand. I didn't remember him. He said, you stayed in our house 23 years ago. We still get your prayer letter. We still pray for you. Hmm. It's like, that's cool. Because yeah. all of these years, we're saying, hey, God, we don't know what to do, but we know you're, you're working, and we know people are praying. And this is one of those guys that for 23 years, he and his wife have been praying for us. It's like, hmm. okay, that's powerful. And if I had said, oh, this church, they're not going to support us and didn't go. Yeah. So when you, when you shift your mind from, I, I need money, I, I always tell people, money is not the issue. God has all the money that you need. He's prepared. He knows who's going to support you. He, he's prepared that path. He has you here for ministry. And when your ministry's done, you'll be there. Until then, look for those opportunities for ministry. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, who are the relationships? Who are the people that the prayer team that God's working on? So all of those things really help with our, our mindset, I think, mm-hmm. if we're going through that process. So I don't know how long it took for you guys, but I kind of share a little bit of that. What lessons did you learn on prefield? Yeah, well, for us, it took probably two and a half, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you go through, I, I think there are several things that you learn. One is what you're saying, that God's economics are not ours. Mm-hmm. So you can't think, oh, it's a small church, therefore they're not going to support us or something like that. Sometimes God uses small churches to bless you more than than any other church, Mm -hmm. both spiritually and economically even. Because I can remember one church, I don't remember who it was, but I remember the occasion where it wasn't a big church and I think the the offering was like $900. Mm -hmm. And you say, you know, God works in in mysterious ways, you know, and... The other thing is to see that you get to a point where God has to break you, where you say, okay, if we're ever going to get to the mission field, it's your doing. It's not going to be mine because I'm at the end of my ropes. I have no idea what to do. It looks discouraging. And I remember one time I was in our bedroom and I just kneeled down by my bed and I just said, Lord, okay, I came to the end of my rope. I don't have any answers. I don't know what to do. I give you this. If you want us on the mission field, help us. If not, I'm okay with it now. And when I got to that point, I want to say that within a few weeks, God started to bless again mm-hmm. with the the support level. Mm-hmm. And, and then we got over kind of that hump where you're at a point where you don't know if you want to keep going or give up. Right. 
Yeah. 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 It seems like there is a point like that in a lot of people for pre-fills. Like there's right. a point where you go like, well, it's some of it's so far and nothing's happening. But if yep. you get past a certain place, it's like, well, we've we've worked so hard, so many people are behind us, you know, it's we're gonna keep going. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. So you made it to Columbia in what year? Two thousand two thousand well, we went to language school in two thousand five in Costa Rica, okay. which is a great year. And, and love Costa Rica. And then we went to Colombia in 2006. Okay. Yeah. So then tell us a little bit about your ministry in Colombia then. Okay. Um, basically, we've been working in theological education and in church planning. Mm-hmm. Um, we, our second term in Colombia, we went to the, the um, Caribbean coast with another American couple and a Colombian family, or uh, two families. Uh, so th- we got there. We didn't know anyone. It was very difficult. That first year, we saw very little fruit. Uh, it- it's not recommended to go to a brand new place where you don't know anyone, I wouldn't say. But that's what God called us to. Mm-hmm. And so the last, that was 2010 we got there. We started the church in 2011. And by God's grace, the church has grown and, and God has blessed the church. Um, it's been a really, I mean, we love the people um, my Colombian coworker Alfredo is there as the lead pastor, and the church is doing really well. And then the other aspect of our ministry has been with theological education, as I mentioned. Um, we've been going back to the Bogota area to teach module courses because they started a full-time seminary about, I want to say, seven years ago. Okay, wow. Yeah, and so I was in on the very first group of eight students. Mm-hmm. Currently there are 31 students or 30 awesome. students. Yeah. 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 So, so that's kind of what we're looking to for the future is moving back into that role of especially theological education. Okay. So how far are you from Bogota now? Currently in Santa Marta, that's um, a flight of an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. So it's a pretty yeah. good. Yeah. A drive. Yeah. I've never driven it, but it's, it'd be it's almost a thousand kilometers, like an 18 hour drive. <laughs> so you guys would move to Bogota to do that? Lord willing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess one of my questions, and I, I always, I, because I don't know a lot about ministry in Colombia, I may maybe know more about Peru and some countries where I've right. have more, um, more people I know who, who are ministering there. But for places like that, where you have a seminary that's starting and you have enough churches to support that. How is Colombia doing thinking about then sending missionaries to surrounding countries? Okay, okay. Um, They have come a long way since we got to the field. Mm -hmm. Because when we got to the field, really there is no church planning in other cities going on. It was mostly just Bogota. Okay. Since we've been there now, we've helped to plant a church there in Santa Marta. We met another guy that we helped kind of plant a church there. There are churches in Medellin. Their churches, um, the Colombian churches have caught the vision, and so they planted churches in other cities as well. They're planting one in Cali. They're planting mm-hmm. churches in another sm- lots of smaller towns. Mm-hmm. So they've really caught the vision for church planning, okay. and that's why, as missionaries, American missionaries at least, we're thinking. Really, our role now is more support, encouragement, mm-hmm. theological training. Mm-hmm. Because to think that we're just going to come in and do the ministry like that, it's not the best mentality. Yeah, and it's not the best model. You no, it's not. It's that. not. And, and that's what I say. Uh, the people that are from that culture, they know the culture better. They know the language better. Uh, 
it just flows more for them. Mm -hmm. And so what I've looked at is how has God gifted us? How has he trained us? Mm -hmm. How can we be a blessing in the future to the Colombian and I would say Venezuelan church because there are a lot of Venezuelans in Colombia now. Sure. So that's another thing that we've right. been seeing in the last five years, a lot of ministry to, to migrants and that too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that, but yeah, that yeah. would be true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's something that when you live there, you, I, I tell people, my bus ride from my house to church, the church building is about 25 minutes and your heart can just break in 25 minutes with everything you see. And especially like I'm saying with the Venezuelan refugees, mm -hmm who often come with absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. They're just working every day to put food on the table. And so we've dealt with a lot of difficult cases, but to God, to the, to God, the glory, um, when you see one of, you know, a family like that get on their feet mm -hmm. and get established and come to know Christ, mm -hmm. uh, it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So how does the, um, how does the church in general accept those immigrants coming in? Is that, is it natural? I don't know if that what the history is or anything like that with right. countries. So how would that? Yeah, that well, it's it? interesting. Uh, if you the history of Venezuela and Colombia, at one point there was what they call the Great Colombia, La Gran Colombia, which was Colombia, Panama, Ecuador, and Venezuela was all one big country. Wow. Okay, uh, back in the 1800s, and that didn't last long because it's impossible to control all that. Right. But that being said. Uh, there are cultural differences, but for the most part, they can assimilate pretty well. Okay. okay. Um, what would I say? The, the, the church, at least where I've been serving, our church has seen it as a great mission field. Okay, good. So, so initially, maybe there is a little bit of like slight, what, what word do I use? Um, slight difficulty with the assimilation mm -hmm. because, of course, they're from a different country. They're coming in. But our church has seen it as, as a mission field. Good. Yeah. yeah. So they have a good attitude. Right. All right. Well, I have a couple more minutes. So before uh, we close, I'd like to ask, think about all your years of, of just ministry and walking with Christ. And you're, a lot of people, I think, that listen to this show are maybe on the newer spectrum. Okay. Spectrum, or they, they recognize that a place where they really need to grow. Right. So what's your advice or thoughts for somebody saying, I really want to grow, but maybe I don't have a solid support group around me. What's, mm. What can I do to be intentional about my spiritual life? Right, right. Yeah, with that, Norman, I don't have um, anything out of this world except to say the basics. I think really getting connected to a, go a good church, mm -hmm. if you can do that, if there's one in your, in your neighborhood or your town or your city, to me, that's key. Uh, and, and then for me, as I mentioned, I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't start reading my Bible every day until I was about 16. And I could say once I started doing that, just the habits of grace, uh, that's huge. That's huge. And, and I think the same thing with prayer. A lot of times we're not that good at it. Mm -hmm. But if you can get a few other people to pray with you right. and, and that, I mean, our Colombian church has grown a lot in prayer this year because we've been doing a prayer time Monday through Friday for an hour each morning, six to seven. Awesome. And I, I look at that and say, wow, you can't calculate the value of that. Right. Oh, absolutely. You can't. And, and we, there we normally have probably between seven and, and 14 people that join together for that hour. Awesome. 
So, I mean, those are some little things, yeah. not to say you have to pray an hour, but right. to say, um, read your Bible every day, whether it's one chapter or two or whatever, but just set that as a goal and spend a little time praying every day and then get involved in your local church. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad you didn't have something earth shattering and new because that's what I keep telling people. <laughs> it is the basics. I mean, you yeah. never leave that, whether you're a new believer yeah. or whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, you don't get away from prayer, time in God's word and time uh, with God's family. So hmm. thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for having me. It was a, a pleasure.